Welcome back, everyone, to Thoughts and Prayers. I'm your host, Max Patton, a recently graduated high school student from Washington, D.C., and I'm here today to talk to people about the fight for sensible gun control and, in general, just keep this issue in people's minds because it's all too easy to forget and just send thoughts and prayers. But my hope with this podcast is that we can help everyone do a little bit more than that. So today, my guest is actually a former classmate of mine. He's also graduated. And uh, while he's not an activist himself, as he would describe it, he's a lot more moderate on this issue. And he's a smart guy. He was my class president, he's a good student, and he was very active in Model UN. He has a comprehensive international background and experience traveling and living in other parts of the world. And as someone who's more on the fence, I think he'll make for an interesting interview, and it's a nice change of pace from our previous guest. So let me introduce Abbas Ali. Hello. Howdy. Hey, Abbas. So can you briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? All right. As said, my name is Abbas Ali. I just graduated recently from St. Anselm's Abbey School in Northeast D.C., and I'm headed next year off to Claremont McKenna College in California. Like Max described myself as a moderate in this issue, I think like most people, I have been affected indirectly from the whole um, gun debate and all these horrible mass shootings. It's really hard to be apathetic or ignore the fact that people are marching in the streets, classes are getting interrupted, and of course, people are dying. And just personally, how would you describe your views on this gun control issue? So I would consider myself, like you said, a moderate, but I would say I'm a little bit more conservative compared to others in my generation on this issue. My main problem is at this point is I think a lot of um, conservatives that I know are genuinely good people and care about the victims of these catastrophes, they are being painted as horrible people just because they have guns or support the NRA or take money from the NRA. And I, I don't really think that's, that's right. I think that this is a much deeper issue than people are really taking into account when they're throwing, hurling these insults. So why don't you think there's an issue with people taking money from the NRA and advocating for the NRA? Because at the end of the day, these interest groups do reflect the views of a significant portion of the population. If the NRA was just one dude that made all of his money off of selling, I don't know, some random product that wasn't guns like cheese, it was some guy that made you know, a, an absurd of money selling cheese and then all of a sudden funneled all that money into pro-gun propaganda, I would have a problem with it. But at the end of the day, the NRA is backed and funded all significantly by people that manufacture guns. So it's, it's not like the NRA doesn't represent anybody. It's, it's not like the NRA is some, you know, mischievous group of three people selling cheese in Idaho. It really does represent a portion of the population, and that's what I have a problem with. And so I know you've been kind of slightly critical of the way schools in many metropolitan areas, you know, like ours right here in D.C., where we're recording, have handled the walkouts and the protests. Can you kind of elaborate on what you think the school officials are doing wrong? I actually have not been super critical in general with regarding the walkouts. I think it's, it's a way for people to express their views. There have, a lot, there have been people, for example, at, at my school that were getting frustrated, 
saying, oh, this is disrupting my education. You know, I, for example, at a private school, like, oh, you know, we pay money to go to this school and it's being disrupted, disrupted by these walkouts. But I, I don't buy into that. So anyone that tells you that it's probably they're, they're not being, they're just want to complain because they're 90% of the time, the guy in the back of the classroom playing on their, their phone, not even paying attention in class, at least in my experience, but I've seen these people say, my problem is, is at certain schools, when it becomes school sponsored and the school starts to go out of its way to promote or demote, or I guess discourage these walkouts, because I think there should be just like a sign up sheet or sign out sheet saying, okay, like we're signing out, we're leaving. So people are held accountable for where they're going. Like people know that they're not just kidnapped from the school. I don't think, because my problem, for example, is that some schools, it becomes very, I guess, school sponsored. And the people that aren't really necessarily in favor of these gun control measures become kind of marginalized. And I don't think that's right. I think it really brings a lot of partisan politics into the classroom or into schools where they don't necessarily need to be. Again, I, I don't think this really needs to be a partisan issue. I think it's really a mental health issue. So do you think it would be better if the schools didn't have any kind of official support of the walkouts and instead let the students do that on their own accord as independents or rebels, whatever you want to see them as? That, that's exactly what I'm thinking. So you travel a lot, you experience a great deal in other countries. How would you say from your experience, being a student who's been around, how does the U.S. differ from other countries and how we handle guns? So I am no expert on the gun legislation in our country or other countries. I can really only talk about my personal feelings, uh, I guess, traveling in Paris and some parts of Morocco, is that it seemed like their police forces or their security forces were extremely well armed. And that made me feel very comfortable in terms of I knew that if there was some threat to the community with a gun or some sort of weapon that they would be swiftly neutralized. They're government agents. The issue that people have in the U.S. is that civilians can have guns, but what some people think are two liberal policies for owning those guns. But what I'm trying to say is I feel like we don't have as much of a like strongman like government deterrence for at least in D.C. compared to these other um, maybe it's because they're more behind the scenes, but I think it definitely changes the vibe when you see these strong, like buff people walking around with these rifles. You know that if something goes down, you will be protected. And in terms of the civilians having guns, if you look at other places, I think often quoted is like Switzerland, a lot of people do have guns. It's not an absurdly huge percent of the population, but there aren't really that many. You don't hear in the news like, oh, like mass shooting in Switzerland very often. And I think that's partially, I think that's a cultural thing. It, but also, I think people are very well trained and background checked in these other countries. And I'm, I'm all for background checks. I think those are essential. But I think they need to focus a little more in the United States on mental health and people that may be you know, threats because of conditions they have. So to be clear, you're in favor of background checks and of things like raising the age to 21? 
I'm not sure about raising the age to 21. I already believe that it's, it's somewhat inconsistent and strange with the drinking age being 21. I think it causes a lot of unnecessary confusion. I'm not enough of an expert to say that there's a huge co- cognitive and maturity difference in between an 18 or 21-year-old, but I really don't have a clear-cut thought of the actual age. I don't really see the age being that different. I don't think someone that would shoot up a school at 18 would all of a sudden not shoot up a school at 21. Mm-hmm. The mental health point is interesting that you point out because there is, if you're familiar with the Dickey Amendment for the CDC, basically what that is, is uh, the CDC is not allowed or permitted to fund research relating to gun violence because a while ago the NRA kind of backed that as as a legislation and lobbied for it as a preventative measure because they feared that it would be used as a political tool, I guess, to take guns away. What do you think of that, of gun research and research on guns in the U.S. being limited and constrained in that way. I think that's absolutely disgusting. I think research is paramount to making really any informed decision. And people that want to um, stifle research, in my opinion, that's, that's not like, obviously, I don't want to depict the NRA, you know, as a whole of being some mischievous, you know, dangerous organization. But I do find it very uh, peculiar that they would restrict and discourage research because I, I just, that's just a red flag to me. That doesn't seem right. Would you say that there's like a society or a country that you think does handle guns the right way? You mentioned, you know, in Switzerland, we don't hear about school shootings. Do you think those kind of countries are a model the U.S. can follow? Or do you think we have a little more of a unique situation? I think we have way too unique of a situation to be really looking to other countries for advice. It's a complex problem in the United States is a complex country. I don't think I think in small scale situations, you can, you know, look at these other countries, for example, such as Israel, that has a very strong armed security presence in a lot of these, uh, like high schools, for example. I am a huge proponent of having armed, not necessarily armed teachers, but armed and trained security officials at schools to ensure that people that have horrible intentions do not enter these schools especially with dangerous weapons. But don't you think it's a little easier to restrict guns from dangerous people rather than arming more of the population? No, I don't think it is because pragmatically, people are going to have these guns and they will acquire these guns through some means. So I think it's much more effective to have armed people at these schools. It's expensive, but I think it's a worthwhile investment to know that parents can go to their work jobs and students can go to school knowing that they have a sophisticated uh, armed personnel that can neutralize a, a threat. And do you think students are going to feel safer with that presence? I personally would feel much safer. I think there are a lot of people that are saying, oh, that guns in schools is going to change the entire dynamic. We don't want to go to prisons. We don't go to military compounds. The end of the day, historically, in, in terms of just the world, people, weapons are a reality and they've been around for security, for harm, for various different reasons. You know, people used to have swords strapped to their, their belts.
Mental health is a really complicated issue, and you've said the U.S. Uh, you admitted it's a complicated situation here. I think the reason a lot of these gun activists are advocating for gun control, for sensible gun control, as they would call it, is that it's lo more low-hanging fruit compared to mental health, which is a really complicated, multifaceted issue that, to be honest, we don't fully understand yet, I and mean, we might never. What do you think are the barriers that we can cross to mental health and progress we can make there in lieu of doing gun legislation? Mental health evaluations need to be more normalized in the background check process. I don't know how much there. I think, like, probably it's accessible to these background checking entities to see, oh, this person has X condition that may render them a danger to the public if they possess the gun. I do agree that it is something more nuanced and difficult, but I do not believe just taking away guns and making them illegal is going to be effective to the extent if we are able to put in the money, put in the research and the resources into having a greater understanding of mental health and these mental health related background checks and tests. So I recently read in Business Insider that in some countries such as Switzerland, they actually uh, consult a psychiatrist if necessary, if there are any questions for whether or not someone should be able to possess a gun. I think if we put the money, we put the research into mental health, I think there can be even positive consequences for that in general if we we're able to put more money into that, you know, with understanding other crimes and conditions. But just to clarify, you're not completely against, I mean, you, you phrase it like it's an extreme view of like taking guns away and making them illegal, but that's not what I think the majority of these walkouts are supporting. I think the majority of them are supporting things, measures like background checks. Yeah, and, no, yeah, no of, of course, of course. And number one, I think saying stuff's common sense. I think that's demeaning and obnoxious in the first place, because if there's debate, debate it's obviously not common sense. Secondly, um, I think it's very like obnoxious and condescending when people have a like have a price tag on themselves, saying like, "Oh, this is this is the worth of a student because uh, according to X or Y or Z um, senator or congressman, because this is how much they receive from the NRA divided by the amount of students." I think that's obnoxious and disgusting, and that's counterproductive because if you're gonna go around pushing moderate, like allegedly sensible views. But then in conjunction with that, start firing uh, insults at these senators saying that they're, they don't care about their kids, which I think is unfounded. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's productive. How optimistic would you say you are for change in general to happen in the U.S., given there's all this groundswell of support? I'm optimistic for a change to happen on the uh, the state level. I'm not too optimistic on the federal level. I don't know if I'd really be in huge favor of stuff really changing considerably on the federal level. I do understand that it's if states have conflicting laws. For example, I I think a lot of people correct me if I'm wrong um, from Illinois complain about Indiana for lax right. gun people measures or both. Right, people will smuggle guns across the border. Yeah. It's a border. yeah, it's I a, it's an issue that people can exploit that state by state difference. Yeah. So I understand where people are coming from with um the federal level, I guess intervention. And the mental health things you mentioned those measures would I think require an amount of federal funding or support. 
I'm not going to get into the funding and whatnot. I, I don't necessarily think it actually would need, I think it's on state levels, if states were able to provide for funding or requirements or whatnot. But if it's an interest to everyone, should that be something that's done at a federal level? The, the problem is once you start doing a lot of things on a, the federal level, stuff affects each state differently and each community differently. I've, I've long been a proponent of things happening as close to the affected region as possible. But again, I, I understand where people are coming from with asking for a federal intervention. I would say there needs to be a little bit of changes on the federal level, but I would say not much. I think this should definitely stay in the hands of the state. At a federal level, something like a universal background check requires a lot of centralization, uh, given it's more comprehensive and uh, can avoid that state-by-state exploitation. So it would theoretically need to be federal. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think a lot of people that disagree with that cite possibilities of government tyranny. I'm not one of those uh, individuals. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you for talking. I think it's really important to have these conversations, not just in the interest of, you know, saying we want to hear the other side, but in the interest of actually learning a little bit about it. And I think we can easily, really easily polarize things to the degree that we we have these extremist positions of these people say they want to take away all guns and make them illegal. These people say that they want to live in a country where everyone's shot all the time. I mean, you know, we can vilify the other side so easily, like you just said. We can villainize other sides so easily with the actions we take, with the measures we're, you know, using in our words and everything, things like common sense, that kind of terminology. Uh, but I think it's important to have these conversations. And I thank, thank you for coming on and for uh, talking a little bit. And I know we disagree on this issue, and I'm sure there's plenty of listeners who disagree amongst themselves and amongst us here on this issue. But I hope listening to this um, informed them a little more and maybe got them to think a little more about their own views on the issue. Well, thanks for having me, Mac. And uh, are there any links or publications that you'd like to refer listeners to so that they can stay informed? Absolutely not. And I'd say that like slightly jokingly, but also somewhat seriously, because I think a lot of people get referred to this publication or that publication. It may not be the easiest or most convenient thing, but I think the most important thing to look at is the laws and the facts and what is reality. Primary sources. Yes, exactly. Primary sources, because I think a lot of people are defaulting, not necessarily to the the dangers of Facebook news or Twitter news, but um, I think a lot of people are resorting to just general news sources that would historically have been seen as very reliable, but have become very partisan, I think, on both sides. So I would say the most important thing is for people to actually look at the legislation, look what's actually going on, and look at the facts. So your call to action, we'd like to have a call to action each episode, I suppose, would be to encourage people to look at the laws themselves, the actual tangible government documents instead of an op-ed or instead of the editorial that you see applied from publications. Yeah, absolutely. Look at the primary sources and make judgments based off of that. I don't think, you know, everyone should hop on the conservative or liberal bandwagon just because they hear uh, some you know, news report. They should actually go be educated. The thing is, it takes a lot of time and effort. That's it's the hard, problem. Yeah. It's hard. It's I don't do it much myself. But in serious issues like this, I think it's it's really important if you're actually going to take a stand, not to just look at some news source and be like, okay, I'm going on a walkout, but actually look at the laws, try to understand the legislation, 
And I think that's really the, the catalyst for change is understanding. And I'd like to add, it should be local. It should be something that you can do locally, that you can, a law you, you can understand locally. The D DC's regulations are not going to be the same as um, someone living in Indiana or someone living in California. Mm -hmm. So I think people should try to understand those differences and understand where they're coming from so that when they meet someone in their town, when they're protesting, if, you know, if you're a listener doing activism, uh, know what you're talking about when someone asks you, do you know about this and this? Because if you sound uninformed, that's how people can easily, you know, villainize your side. So definitely be informed at a local level, I think. So again, thank you for your time, Abbas. And thank you as well to everyone for listening. In case you're not subscribed already, you can do so. We're going to be on Apple Podcasts. We're already on Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. I think even Spotify is coming soon. So we should be in all those places. You can also follow us on Twitter, at PrayersFM. If you want to leave us a review or just share the show with your friends, that would also be much appreciated. Uh, and of course, you can send us more than thoughts and prayers. You can send us feedback at the email, max at audox.xyz. That's going to be spelled out in the description. And you can find the link for all our show notes in it as well in the description. So goodbye and see you next week with a new guest. Thank you.